This is one of your co-hosts, Peter Bell, with a huge announcement. As of November 4th, guiltgracepod.com officially launches. Here on this new website, you can listen to all of our episodes categorized by season, speaker, and by type. There'll be a store where you can purchase mugs, shirts, hats, and a few other items, both with the logo you guys already know and a few other designs you have not yet seen, a place to donate, and also a blog with a few articles on books that you have not yet seen that don't make our regular podcast feed. But if you guys want more book recommendations that you have not yet seen, you'll find more book reviews, book recommendations on our blog and articles there as well. And guiltgracepod.com will be the hub of our upcoming confessional podcast network, which launches between Thanksgiving and Christmas of this year. This is a hub for all of your favorite confessional reform podcasts and a few you may not have heard of yet, all under the same umbrella of the confessional podcast network. Remember, Friday November 4th, this launches. So visit guiltgracepod.com. For all things guilt, grace, gratitude. This changes nothing about still finding this podcast and all your podcast catchers. It's just one stop shop for all things guilt, grace, gratitude. It's again, guiltgracepod.com, and we'll see you there. I don't think it's a choice between saying that the Bible contradicts culture or, or saying, you know, in, in theological language, that there's an antithesis between them. Mm. Yeah. And, and saying that, that the Bible has something to contribute to the culture. And, and I wonder if that's part of where hmm. Christians have got it wrong, that, that we feel that we've got to choose one of those. Right. Yeah. We've either got to say the Bible and the culture are in an antithetical relationship. Yeah. Or we've got to say that the Bible's got some really interesting things to contribute. Hmm. And I think that the, the biblical model that shows the inadequacy of that is 1 Corinthians 1. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast sponsored by Logos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we're doing a book club episode with Christopher Watkin on his new book, Biblical Critical Theory, How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. Very ex exciting topic great book. We're going to be talking about it here in a few moments. Peter and I are going to ask him some questions as usual for these book club episodes. As a reminder on our show notes, a few links. Um, one is for Zondervan, so if, the publisher of this book. So if you click that link, it'll take you to this book um, and please get it for yourself. And then also uh, some links that will be helpful guiding you to a reformed or confessional church near your area. So you hit that link uh, and you type in your zip code and the closest reformed or confessional churches near you come up. If you have any questions um, about that, uh, you can reach out to Peter or myself, or you can have questions or comments about really anything in general. Um, you can contact us at guiltgracepod at gmail.com. You can also uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram, our social media platforms, uh, at GuiltGracePod. Both ha handles the same for both. And then um, also you heard me mention Logos Bible Software. They are our uh, main sponsor. So thank you, Logos Bible Software. They're what we call our bridge builders, our, our, our sponsors. And so halfway through this episode, you'll hear some words from some of our other sponsors, a.k.a. Uh, Bridge Builders, and then um, and then a little bit more information about Zondervan as well, and then um, also if you're an in, if you're an individual and you want to be a bridge builder, you can hit that Patreon link and see the different levels of giving just to keep our show moving forward uh, with increased bandwidth and um, increased demand and equipment. Today we got we might sound a little different. We have because of the thankful. Being thanks to our sponsors, we got new microphones here, so we're we're upgrading in the podcast world. So, 
I'll let Peter further introduce Christopher Walken today. Yeah, we have Dr. Christopher Walken, who's a senior lecturer in French studies at Monash University of Melbourne, Australia. He's a scholar with international reputation in an area of modern and contemporary European thought, atheism, the relationship between the Bible and philosophy. His published work runs the spectrum from academic monographs on contemporary philosophy to books written for general readers, both Christian and secular and include difficult atheism from Plato to postmodernism, great thinkers, Jacques Derrida, and others. And we will talk about some of these relationships on this episode. And it's a pleasure to have you on, Dr. Watkin. You know, Nick, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's our it's our uh, our pleasure. Before we start our first ep- or first question, just let us know how things are going in, in Melbourne. This is the, I think this is the second straight interview. We actually talked to Dr. Michael Bird. Um, this past Thursday. That's right. That's, and he's from Melbourne too. He's actually in Melbourne. So it's, we have That's two right. people in the same time. This is, this That's is crazy right. for us. It's been a big weekend in Melbourne. We had our AFL grand final, uh, last weekend. Okay. And yep. my team, the Geelong cats actually won. Um, <laughs> oh, so there we, we go. Yep. riding a high at the moment. Awesome. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. So for those who may not know you or your your work, uh, maybe this is the first time they've been been introduced to you. They haven't heard you before. Uh, maybe let our listeners know a little bit about yourself, your background, and your current work. Sure, I'm a Yorkshireman. Grew up in the UK. Uh, became a Christian um, when I was 15 years old. Yep. And uh, went up to university to study uh, French and German in a really heavily literature and philosophy based course okay and um stuck around at university through a postdoc and then lectured for a couple of years there um and wrote a, a phd in uh three french philosophers mm-hmm. uh married a, a wonderful australian lady allison uh, and moved over here in melbourne in 2011 where i've been teaching at monash university uh, ever since and writing i guess two sorts of books, really. The, yeah. the sort of standard academic monographs. I've, I've written one on atheism, one on um, what is a human being, and <laughs> one on a really obscure French philosopher that no one's ever heard of. Um, and, Which philosopher? Uh, he's, he's called Michel Serre. Okay. I think he's really important, but he's, okay. he's, not, um, he's not up there uh, in terms of name recognition with people like Derrida or Foucault yeah. um, yet. And I've also, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. You'll Um, get him famous again. That's right. Um, I've also been writing some Christian books. So I wrote three little books on on Derrida, Foucault and Deleuze. I'm trying to work out how to think about them from a Christian point of view. Um, And then this um, longer book that's just about to come out, Biblical Critical Theory. That's right. Uh, where I try and take a, a sweep from Genesis to Revelation and think about culture in through the lens of, of biblical theology. Awesome. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. That, I guess leads into my question. What led to writing this book in particular? And how did you get into cultural philosophies and their intersection with a biblical worldview? I guess it's the book that I would have really loved to have read as an undergraduate. So, you know, you imagine me there um, in a, a literature and philosophy course, grappling with all these different theories and, and approaches. Yeah, you uh, went to Cambridge, a, correct? That's right, yeah. Yeah, yeah Jesus yeah. College, Cambridge. Yeah, if you want to imagine, yeah, Dr. Walken at Cambridge in the grounds of a, of a university doing this, then by all means. <laughs> that's right, in my little little old room. Yep. Um, and, and as a relatively new Christian as well. Um, and just trying to to bring those two worlds into conversation with each other, I guess. Um, and I, I, you know, I was looking around for books that took the intellectual world that I was engaging with in my course seriously and that really understood it, but that also took the Bible seriously uh, and um, came at it from a confessional point of view. And, and I couldn't really at that time find much out there. Um, a lot of the books on philosophy by Christians were, were dealing with more analytic philosophy, Alvin Plantinga, people like that, which was fantastic, but it wasn't mm-hmm. the philosophy I was studying, so it wasn't hugely useful to me. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and, you know, there were um, authors like uh, Cornelius Van Til out there, Oliver O'Donovan, John Milbank, mm-hmm. who, who were moving in that direction. But there was nothing really that engaged at length with the writers that I was looking at. And so I suppose that the genesis of the book was wanting to write that book, mm-hmm. um, given that I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. And uh, reading your bio and I think reading a little bit more about you beyond this, curious with with a background in European language, you you studied French and German um, in college and then doctoral level as well. Um, Literature and thought, what what got you into, how'd you move from there to kind of cultural philosophies and Christian engagement? It wasn't so much of a jump as it might sound okay. in the way that you just framed it. I think people it might think it's a jump, but yeah, I see yeah, what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my, my course was was already dealing with a lot of cultural theory. There was one unit, it was my favorite unit during my whole time as an undergraduate, called Modern Critical Theory. Mm. And every week we'd look at a new cultural theory. So there was a week on, on Derrida, a week on Deleuze, a week on Foucault, mm-hmm. um, a week on... Um, post-colonialism, I think. Yeah, which are kind of the hot uh, topics and hot names right now. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and each of these approaches would give you a way of looking at the world. It would make some things in the world really obvious and, and other things would sort of fade into the background. It would give you a way of deciding, you know, what you want to praise out there in the world and, and, and what you want to condemn. And, I, you know, as I was reading the Bible and going to a, a, a good Bible teaching church on um, Sundays, I, it, it struck me that, you know, the Bible is doing a similar sort of thing. It's not the only thing the Bible is doing, of course, um, but but the, the Bible is making certain things out there in the world visible. Uh, you know, the widows and the orphans, mm-hmm. for example, or uh, mm-hmm. um, the, the, the glory of God in creation uh, is drawing attention to certain things. Um, and it's giving you a framework in which certain things become praiseworthy, like God's name or God's glory, and certain things uh, be become to be condemned um, and it, it frustrated me I guess that the Bible had no seat at the table when all these different cultural theories were being discussed hmm. and I the, the more I thought the more I was convinced that the Bible really does have some fresh and quite surprising ideas from from a secular point of view to offer to these debates that were raging in, in this unit that I was studying, modern critical theory. Um, and so part of what I'm trying to do in the book is to, to bring the Bible to that table, into that conversation, uh, and to see what it's what it's contributing, what a biblical view of the world contributes to this theoretical um, sort of to and fro you know, that's hmm. going on in culture. Yeah, before uh, before next, next question, just curious, we, we didn't send you these before. Um, but since you read these in college, you read these um, for doctorate, post-doctorate and all that. Um, and I think they were popular a while back, but they've, <clears throat> they've kind of they've kind of regained in popularity more so lately. I don't know if you know or if you have any kind of um, feel for what's kind of brought them back up in popularity more recently where Christians are, I think Christians for the first time are really reading these people for the first time versus when they wrote back in the 80s or 70s or whatever, whatever it may have been. Um, I'm not, so, so from my neck of the woods, they've never really gone out of fashion. Um, mm. uh, there's, there's been a steady stream of, of books on, on these thinkers over the years. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if part of what's happening is that with the rise to prominence of, um, tendencies like critical race theory, uh, mm-hmm. People are returning to these texts and, and trying to find the, the, the genealogy of, of these contemporary okay. critical theories. Uh, it, it might be that that's part of what's happening. Gotcha. Yeah, because I think Christians um, are wrestling with these things, although they've been there for a while and the academics have gone through. And I think Christians are, are kind of discovering, not rediscovering, discovering them for the first time and wondering, what do I, what do, I do with some of these people? How do, I, how do I read these? How do I interact with these yeah, and like you've said before, um, everything's already there in the Bible, and um, you know we the Bible should be a part of the conversation and at the same table with discussions about philosophy and culture and 
because when it comes down to it, it's deep, meaningful questions human beings have always had. And the Bible definitely addresses those. I mean, that's very clear. So it's great that you bring this book out there to, to um, more remind us, not so much introduce us because it's already, already been there, but remind us, point us back to the Bible because, and you know, it's okay to engage with the culture and, and, and drive us back to the Bible. Um, so I think so many people uh, try to pit the Bible against culture and pit it against each other. And, and you're like, no, let's, let's try to help engage with culture, help these discussions with the Bible. It looked like yeah, you're about to say something. So just, to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <Nick>. um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't think it's a choice between saying that the Bible contradicts culture or, or saying, you know, in, in theological language that there's an antithesis between them mm, yeah. and, and saying that, that the Bible has something to contribute to the culture. And, and I wonder if that's part of where mm. Christians have got it wrong, that, that we feel that we've got to choose one of those. Right. Yeah. We've either got to say the Bible and the culture are in an antithetical relationship. Yeah. Or we've got to say that the Bible's got some really interesting things to contribute. Mm. And I think that the the biblical model that shows the inadequacy of that is 1 Corinthians 1. Mm -hmm. And if you look at what Paul is doing with Greek wisdom and, mm -hmm. and the Jewish demand for, yeah. for signs and power in that passage, he's doing both. Like there's an absolute antithesis between what he's calling God's foolishness yeah. and human wisdom. Um, that there's no sense in which God's wisdom is just like the Greek wisdom, only a little bit more or a little mm. bit better. Um, that, that there's a rupture between the two. Yeah. So, so he's a hundred percent behind the antithesis camp. Yeah. You know, the people are saying that that the Bible is is not like the culture. There, there's a, there's a disjunction between the two. But then in the same passage, he goes on to say, doesn't he, that you know the wisdom, the foolishness of God, is wiser. Mm -hmm than human wisdom so he's comparing the two mm -hmm. and he's saying god's is better and so he's he's saying you know that what the greeks are looking for in their wisdom but but can't find the fullness of in the way that they're looking for it that the fullness of that is actually found strangely mm -hmm. paradoxically mm -hmm. in the foolishness of the cross mm -hmm. and and if the greeks would only look in the last place they'd ever think of finding wisdom you know the the, the foolishness of a man hanging up on a cross uh, they they'd find that the fullness of of what they're searching for, mm. and so you know the the fulfillment people you know sort of dance up and down on that verse and mm. say look you know the Bible is uh, is pointing the culture in the right way and is fulfilling the aspirations of the culture, but but it's both isn't it? Mm -hmm. And it's the moment that we divide antithesis from fulfillment. I think that we've already created a false dichotomy and we've got mm. ourselves into all sorts of trouble. Hmm. in terms of cultural criticism because you can't pick just one of those yeah um and and expect it to be adequate uh, divided off from, from the other one yeah yeah that's totally. a good clarification there um and this is a incredibly unique book and you trace redemptive themes structurally from beginning to end gener genesis to revelation so very helpful with a focus on modern cultural engagement throughout and so how does the redemptive story line of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation help us better engage with modern cultural narratives? We understand you're not going to answer <laughs> all 66 books in the Bible. Yeah. But, yeah. Please yeah, answer thoroughly for yeah. the next five hours. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, in a sentence, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't know whether the book is that unique, actually, um, just to go back to, to, to that part of the question. Mm. I, I'm trying to use as a model Augustine's City of God. Yeah, right. I think he he yep. does this brilliantly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he takes this this Genesis to Revelation approach as well in the second half of the City of God. Yeah, and yeah. and what what he's doing, as I understand it, is he's trying to bring the whole of the biblical story to bear on the whole of late Roman culture. Mm -hmm. So he's not just just picking one or two aspects of of Hellenistic culture. And saying, you know, let's do a demolition job on, on this Roman idea or, or on that part of society. He's saying, let's try and, and look at the whole of it. You know, the civil religion, um, the, 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 the games, the, the, the Colosseum, everything. Uh, and let's try and bring the whole of the Bible to bear on that. Um, and, he, you know, he does it 
astonishing with, with, with a depth of insight that, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be <laughs> yeah. anywhere yeah. near. I don't think, yeah, I don't think, yeah. even though he wrote um, that in what, 400 something AD, I don't think it's yeah. been eclipsed by any modern scholar Absolutely since not. Augustine. No, I completely agree. Right. I completely agree. And, but, but so what I'm trying to do is, is then take that as a model and say, well, if we're going to bring the whole of the Bible to bear on the whole of late modern culture, what might that look like? Hmm. Um, and I, I take therefore um, what sometimes in theological circles is called, you know, your creation, fall, redemption, consummation framework, yeah. um, which I'm persuaded is really quite fresh and hmm. unique in terms of, of critical theories of cultural theories mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because it it temporalizes culture to use a slightly clumsy yeah. phrase and yeah, so, I see what you're so saying. for a lot of cultural theories that the way things are now is the way that they've always been you know that there's there's gradual changes but that there's no dramatic ruptures in the way things mm. are and mm. it's the way they'll always be as well and the, and the problem with that and the marxists knew this uh, theodore adorno knew this um is, is that that gives you no standpoint from which to look at society and critique it. You know, he mm. calls it a standpoint of redemption. If if you're in the society and it's always been as it is and it always will be as it is, well, then that's normal. And, and why would you expect it? How can you expect it to be different? And um, But of course, what, what the creation for redemption consummation framework gives you is a, a reading of reality where the way things are now is not how they've always been hmm. and it's not how they were meant to be and also thank goodness it's not how they will be mm -hmm. and and that gives you this this standpoint from which to look at contemporary reality and and critique it meaningfully um with with a set of values and with the view that, that doesn't belong entirely to the present. We're not bootstrapping ourselves to a position where we can critique reality. Yep, because, yep. you know, we, we have what, what Adorno calls the standpoint of redemption. You know, the, 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 the new heavens and the new earth provide a perspective uh, to be able to look at the way things are now and say, you know, although the, the goodness of creation has, has by no means been um, eradicated, you know, thing, things are not good. Mm -hmm. Human beings are, are, are not as we ought to be, are... are intentions in the world, our, our treatment of the natural world, our treatment of each other is not as it ought to be. And, and from a biblical point of view, we we have ground upon which to stand to say that. Yeah. And maybe before my next question, just um, it helps maybe a theological example of what you're saying is, um, I think I've heard you say this before, uh, but maybe I'm paraphrasing. So correct me if I'm wrong. It's, you know, everything in creation, God made good originally so everything that we see has some goodness in it and the the thing about evil is evil doesn't create anything evil distorts creation evil distorts what was good and what is good so yeah, even or in augustine's words the privation of good that's what he talks mm -hmm. about his confessions in the city of god too yeah amen yeah so so maybe uh can you double down on like what i'm saying as far as everything god created is good so creation in itself is good but evil that it doesn't create anything evil just comes in and distorts yeah so the the principle there i think is 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 what you know when jesus says only god is good um so christians do have a measure of what is absolutely good but it's not a measure that's located within the created order there's nothing we can look to within creation and say, that is my absolute measure of what is good. Because only God is good and he's outside the creation. Right. And similarly, there's nothing within the created order, within human culture, let's say, that is utterly and unremittingly and exhaustively evil. Um, because only, only the devil is that. Um, mm -hmm. And what that does is it, it gives Christians a, a wonderful openness and discerning attitude to the whole of culture because what what it predisposes us to expect when we encounter a, a cultural artifact or an event or a movement or, or anything is that there's going to be some echoes in it of god's good creation because mm -hmm. nothing is is utterly evil within the created order uh, but it also predisposes us to expect it's going to be twisted or or, or damaged or partial in some way you know, this goes for everything. It goes for 
every political movement goes for the church itself mm-hmm. insofar as it's a you know it, it, in its sense that it's a human institution um and and therefore christians can't just simply accept anything without having thought about it carefully because of this this mixture of of, of good and and twistedness that that's going to be in it and and nor can we simply without having engaged with it reject anything for the same reason yeah but if you get your measure measure of what's good and evil from something inside the created order which you have to do if you're going to have a functioning ethics and and you don't believe that there's anything apart from this world then there are some things that you're going to have to close your mind to on pain of losing your measure of what's of what's good and evil so for example if if your ideology dictates that that rationality is the measure of of good and, and superstition is evil mm-hmm. uh, or the um historically speaking the uh, the proletariat is good and the bourgeoisie is evil or evil or the the free market is good and, and regulation is evil then you're going to have to close your mind when you come to considering those things themselves, otherwise you're going to lose your measure. Um, but the Christian doesn't have to close her mind. Uh, the Christian can be open to considering everything within creation uh, on its merits because her measure of what's good and evil isn't inside the created order at all. I just think that's a wonderfully freeing, empowering um, basis on which to, to go out into the world as Christians mm-hmm. and to, to think carefully about everything that we come across. Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guiltgrace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. John Calvin said that faith is the axis around which everything in the Christian life rotates. And what a truth this is. And this year, Westminster Seminary California's annual conference will be focusing on faith specifically, exploring various facets of doctrine and life as they touch upon the centrality of our faith in this Christian life. And bringing these messages are Westminster's own and my former professors, including Dr. Michael Horton on the Anchor of Faith, Dr. W. Robert Godfrey on the crisis of faith, Dr. Craig Troxell on the heart of faith, Dr. Bradley Bittner on the hope of faith, and Westminster President Joel Kim on the gift of faith. This conference is a delight because it's a really unique opportunity to listen to these seasoned pastors and theologians share from God's word to help us in our Christian pilgrimage. There are few conferences, if any, with so much theological power and such a small an intimate package. And in tandem with this annual conference is another seminary for a day, where you can attend classes, meet professors and students, see the campus, and so much more. I myself did this in March of 2019, and I loved it. If you come, you're eligible to receive a $400 travel grant to cover your expenses. From faith to faith, the power of God for the Christian life. Is happening January 13th to 14th, and registration is open now. Go to www.wscal.edu slash conference for more information and to save your spots. Or go to our show notes for the same link and reserve your spots. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. 
Hey guys, a sh quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10 volume series of William Perkins, who a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote The Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon uh, sells them. So if you guys go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books, we'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out, and hopefully this is good. What rings in my ears too, is that, um, a really good example is also sex. I mean, God made sex good and pure and meant for a specific meant for a reason. And culture has totally, and evil has, has distorted it quite a bit. And we've seen that in our culture as well. Um, but here, here's a question for me. My last question, I'll let Peter kind of go from here. So the provisional title of your book, I don't know if the audience knows this back in November, 2021 was Christian cultural engagement. And the final title of your book was changed to biblical critical theory. Uh, whether this was your choice or the editors, we never really know until we talk to an author, like <laughs> whose choice was it? Was it, there's a play on the current, uh, currently divisive role of critical race theory in today's society. So uh, how do you engage with these modern cultural philosophies or lens into modern life? To answer the, the immediate question there first, <laughs> I proposed biblical critical theory ah. along with a, a bunch of other titles uh, and the publishers loved it. So it was a joint decision mm. uh, between us. Um, I, I really like it for a couple of reasons. First of all, I think it, it subtly makes the point that um, so let me let me circle back to to this unit I did as an undergraduate modern critical theory. Yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't about critical race theory, and it wasn't about the Frankfurt School mm -hmm. that, that that often gets associated with critical theory. Adorno, Horkheimer, mm -hmm. Marcuse, and so forth. Um, it, it was about a broader sense of critical theory, which means. Uh, ways of, of looking at the world that, that draw attention to certain things and make certain things valuable um, and make certain ways of being in the world viable. And, th and that's what all these different people, Foucault and, Dele and Deleuze and, and Derrida and everyone uh, are doing. Um, and I wonder whether there's a danger at the moment that we lose that wider sense of, of what critical theory is mm. and focusing merely on one variety of it. Mm. Um, and, and I think to the extent that we're doing that, we're preventing ourselves from seeing what's going on in culture hmm. more broadly. And so part of what I, I like about the title Biblical Critical Theory is that it's reclaiming exactly. that broader sense um, of uh, what, what critical theory has meant, mm -hmm. but has, has recently, because of various sort of political events, become somewhat obscured by a narrower sense. I I also love it because it's doing um, what what Augustine does again uh, <laughs> yep. in 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 the city of God. Um, this is one of my favorite Augustine stories. So the first word, the very first word of the original Latin mm -hmm. of the first chapter mm -hmm. of Augustine City of God uh, is the word gloriousissimum, mm -hmm. uh, most glorious. Mm -hmm. So he, he starts off, most glorious is the city of God. And we thought, fair enough, that doesn't seem terribly controversial to me. But of course, the, the, the idea of glory, the value of glory, was Rome's way of 
looking at itself and, and seeing itself as, as superior to all you know the other nations. Exactly. Yep. Um, but Roman glory is not a Christian idea. You know, the glory of Rome is the way that it um, uh, sort of rolls out its imperial um, might and crushes its enemies uh, and makes everybody serve it and, and sort of, you know, gains tribute. It's, it's not a Christian idea. So what on earth then we are, you know, within our rights to ask is Augustine doing by using that word to, to describe the city of God and putting it as a very first word of the city of God. And I think what he's doing is, is the 1 Corinthians 1 thing mm -hmm. again. He's saying, you, you search after glory, you Romans. This is what you really, really want. This is what you pride yourselves on. This is your identity. Well, if you want the fullness of what you're searching for, you actually need to come to the place that you'd least think of finding it, mm. uh, which is this, this city of God that you deride and that you think is responsible uh, for the... Um, uh, demise uh, of Rome. And I think that there's a similar argument to be made for, for critical theories today. Hmm. Um, so what, what Augustine is doing for glory, uh, I, I think the, the Bible also does for, for justice, which is you know, one of hmm. the main values of, of, yep. of yep. various different critical theories. Um, and in the same way, that, yeah, because they're rightly know, concerned for some of these things, but like you said, there's really? there's a bigger narrative that some of them are missing. Yeah, and in the same way that Roman glory is is not the same thing as the glory of the city of God. Yeah, and yet Augustine can still say most exactly. glorious is the city of God, knowing how that will be misheard by Roman ears because hmm. he's trying to make that point. I I think that the way to do that today is is you know to say um, that. Actually, that what these critical theories are are searching for is is most fully embodied mm. in in the Bible that they think is is part of the problem they're trying to address. Mm. Um, and that if 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 you really want to be serious about looking for justice in its fullness, then then perhaps you you need to go to the the last place you think of looking for it, which is the Bible that you think is the you know, the source of so much uh, uh, oppression and discrimination. Hmm. So, so it's the same move. It's the same move again. And, th and that's that's what I like about this this title, Biblical Critical Theory, that it's repeating hmm. this this Pauline and this Augustinian gesture. Yeah, that's yeah, that's really helpful because <clears throat> I've been I've been preaching through. I just started the Amos, um, the prophet Amos, um, and he's usually he's usually claimed I think rightly so as the, the the prophet that's most concerned with justice, with righteousness, with oppressing the poor. Uh, and so it gets used by kind of, you can quote, quote unquote, both sides for, Oh, it's just temporal justice. No, this is holy justice. But I think what you're saying makes sense because he is concerned with this, but he's concerned ultimately with the justice that, that the Lord proclaims on the earth when he comes back and makes, makes all things right. Not, not, merely the temporary justice that we're looking for though it's good to look for temporary justice it's he doesn't divorce it from this this overarching you can call it eschatological or like end times justice that comes in it's that, that, that's that makes sense for what people are doing and it comes back again to to this this core idea that you've got to have both antithesis and fulfillment mm -hmm. uh, if you lose one of those uh then then you're going to go off track but if you can keep them together like Augustine does and like Paul does, um, then I think that's a, a brilliant basis for cultural critique. Yeah. So um, maybe to help ground some listeners before my next question, what, who are, if you can introduce a couple of these major thinkers that you interact with in the book, some of these major theories, just so they kind of get a taste of, okay, this is what he's talking about. This is who he's, this is who he's talking about. Some of the trends, maybe some people that they may know, some people they may not know, and the, the trends that they didn't start, but they, they kind of imbibe. Okay. Um, I I talk regularly, I think, um, about uh, early modern thinkers like uh, Descartes and Hobbes. Okay. Um, so in in the modern period, you've got the emergence of a, a mechanistic worldview. So, um, as Hobbes says in in the opening of his Leviathan, mm -hmm. really everything, including human beings, is just cogs and springs and wheels. Mm -hmm. We can understand ourselves as machines. Um, and I I come back. So that idea a number of times and look at it from various different biblical points of view. Um, more recently, um, I, I engage with, um, you know, the, the usual 
sort of mm -hmm. postmodern suspects. We've got Foucault mm -hmm. in there, uh, Derrida and Deleuze uh, mm -hmm. again. Um, and I sort of can't. Um, so it, it, the history of philosophy courses and history of political thought courses uh, will, will touch on many of the people that I'm engaging with. Gotcha. Uh, in okay. Yeah, that, that, I think that helps ground some of the, the names and some of the, the movements. Uh, so two related questions. Um, since this has been your, your work and you, you've engaged with this for, for quite a while before writing this book, was was there a chapter you wrote that you thought like, oh, that was, I, I didn't I didn't expect to kind of research this or to come out with this, or that was the most interesting chapter for you to write or enlightening for you to write. And what do you think might surprise some of your readers when they read your book? What a wonderful question. I, time and again, I started off research for a chapter thinking, I'm not sure there's a great deal to say here. I'm not sure there's a lot of material for cultural critique in this particular bit of the Bible, you know, which says much more about me than about the Bible, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. but, but time and again, the, the more digging I did, the more interacting I did with the text themselves and with, you know, with sort of commentaries on that, I thought, my goodness, how am I going to fit everything into, into the space <laughs> yeah. that I've got, which is probably why the book ended up being so long. So I, <laughs> yeah. I thought the, the section on the prophets was going to be, uh, you know, a few pages at the end of another chapter. Yeah. And yep. then I, I started reading, I thought, oh my goodness, like the, the whole institution of prophecy mm -hmm. in the Bible is such a model of mm -hmm. a, 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 an authority, a locus of authority within a society that's not in power. So of authority without power. Mm -hmm. And, and just, how anarchic it is like there's no school of prophets apart from elisha and yeah. elijah yeah there's no handing down of, of no of prophetic gift god is calling these prophets yep. up some of them are farmers some of them are in courts <laughs> yeah. some of them are at the city gates they just anyone yeah amos is and, a shepherd from tacoa they're like you're just not you're not expecting these people to be prophets yeah and and just things like that that you know and anyone who knew the bible better than i do would have would have known already but that and the more you dig into that the more that that just opens itself up as as an entry into a whole series of cultural questions mm. um and the same with revelation i'd, I'd never yeah. read hmm. the book of revelation as a political text mm -hmm. in the way that i was brought to for this project hmm. um I, i'm not talking about sort of end time stuff but but as a as yeah. a trenchant powerful critique oh of, yeah you know what sometimes gets called the military-industrial complex, huh. um, and and just brilliantly incisive uh, resources for for the way that Christians are to live in the last days, sort of lifting the the veil of society to show what it what its ugly underbelly is like. All those sort of things were were, were new to me largely mm. uh, in Revelation, and that was just a joy. Mm -hmm. to discover you, you know sometimes when you're reading something you get that thrill don't you you know you feel as though you're, you're stepping into it's the narnia moment <laughs> you know you're going through the yeah. through the cupboard oh my goodness there's a lamppost of mr tumnus yep, but yep, there, there yep. were quite a few of those moments and revelation was definitely definitely one of them hmm. what an amazing book yeah and what do you what do you think what do you suspect because it may it may be different than what actually happens what do you suspect may surprise some of your readers when reading your book I hope that they'll be surprised by how fresh and incisive the Bible is and how the the best cultural critique pushes deeper and deeper and deeper into the Bible rather than feeling that it's got to sort of take a step back mm -hmm. from the Bible and, and content itself with, you know, theological categories at, at one remove or or, or that it's got in order to become culturally relevant, you you have to sort of slightly loosen your grasp on biblical faithfulness. Hmm. Um, I, I would love readers uh, to be surprised and and thrilled, thinking, uh, in order to to become better cultural critics, we need to press deeper hmm. into the text of the Bible, hmm. um, rather than you know sort of sit more loosely to it. That that would be. <clears throat> all my Christmases would come at once if people uh, <laughs> yeah. found yeah. found that that's what they took away from the book. Awesome. Yeah. So, so last question for me, if, if you have anything else to, to add after this, what, so slightly different take on the last question that I, I asked, but what do you hope for Christians who read your book? And we're, I mean, obviously there, there may be some who are not Christians who read this too. 
we're specifically thinking of Christians, and if you want to touch on non-Christians as well, and how might they more fruitfully engage? Like, we're not we're not trying to separate ourselves from culture. We're not trying to try to just set an antithesis or just say we're just adding on top. So there's a like you said, there's a tension there um, with these various cultures they live in, and as as they find their their life wrapped in the redemptive story of Jesus Christ. So how what do you hope for Christians who read this book, and maybe for non-Christians too? I. I guess that people will, will, you know, get very different things out of the book and I don't want to be prescriptive totally. um, uh, about, you know, what, what people ought to find in it. I, I, I think one of the things that I've got from it, perhaps that's, that's the easiest way for me to answer this is it's given me a confidence to be on the front foot culturally as a Christian, you know, not, not to feel always not that, just being that, defensive completely that our role is to, to defend you know the bible or, or or god against the latest attacks that are that are coming their way from the yep. culture which i think is sort of the the default position these days yep. um but actually to to be on the front foot and saying that there's something really precious and um uh, new to a lot of people's ears hmm. and you know they want to they want to have heard these ideas before in in the culture um, and and constructive and challenging to to bring to the table of of the hot button issues that are you know that are animating our culture today and and that people are debating you know in the in the newspapers on the television the, the Bible has some really profound and engaging things to say about that oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. and you know it's got a positive vision to set forth for society you know it's not the only thing the bible does it is you know it also makes us wise for salvation through faith it, mm -hmm. it's, it's god mm -hmm. breathed and so forth i'm not suggesting for a moment that, that that we want to reduce the bible to this but in addition the bible also sets forth this, this powerful positive vision mm. for a society for a modern society uh, that works and, and and i would i would love people to go away thinking um you know, praising god for his wisdom i suppose um, that the that text that was written 2000 years ago could still be so contemporary mm -hmm. um, and, and have such a, a powerful and positive vision to put. And what I hope a few people go away thinking, mm -hmm. uh, perhaps undergraduates, perhaps people working in academia, perhaps people working in the cultural industries, is, um, well, that was interesting, but I think <laughs> I, could I could probably do better. Uh, I, I, I want to I fill a hole that this book didn't cover. Okay. Uh, I want to bring my particular expertise hmm. and experience to bear on your know, fleshing out a, a Christian cultural theory mm -hmm. in, in a way that this book didn't touch. Hmm. So a, a little bit of dissatisfaction huh. at the end, I don't think is a bad thing. Yeah, uh, no, that's and I would just think, encourage people, you know, if, if you see something, if you see a hole in the book, uh, if you've read it and you think, oh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not quite sure I'd do it that way, then do it your way <laughs> let's, let's, yeah, let's so you can read it you're let's... like oh this is a way i didn't think about yeah yeah completely and you know if, if people go away thinking i could do a better job um then then i i think that would be fantastic i would i would love to see you know more and, and more of this this sort of work because i think exactly. it's so important it's important for the church um that that you know that there are Christians thinking in in these ways, I guess, you know, I, how how much has, has Augustine blessed us over the centuries? Yeah, totally. Um, uh, and, and and it's, you know, it's it's important, um, you know, not wanting to sort of over stress the 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 blow our own trumpet, but I think it's also important for, for society at large that, that Christians are engaging in 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 these debates because is. there is something different that, that the bible brings to the table and if that's missing then it's a shame yeah uh, from our public debates so so yeah that's that's what i hope people might go away with that's awesome mm -hmm. yeah i don't know uh nick if you have any other questions that if that jogged up for you no i mean that was refreshingly uh humble what you said just yeah. like the, the, yeah i don't the... i don't know where we hear that yeah response from from authors they're like no i'm they don't say like i'm the end i'll be all but they're like they, they uh yeah they don't usually open it up for like yeah please do better than my book which is it's refreshing to hear yeah um because we want to serve the church and we want to give the church more resources not just a single resource it's really refreshing 
And, and also, this is such a vast area that that one person's only ever going to, you know, yeah. know a, people a, have a specialties. Yeah. So I, like you know, said. I'm a specialist in in modern French and European thought. And yeah. I can talk a bit about that. There's whole disciplines I've I've hardly got a clue about, and that other people need to go and write those books. Totally. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's appropriate that you're. Uh, this book is encouraging people to uh, add more to it, to bring their yeah. experiences to it, and that that echoes your book by engaging with culture <laughs> so you're yeah, kind of be biblical critical theory volume two from yeah. whoever writes it <laughs> so yeah i don't yeah. know dr maybe dr walken is there anything else that we missed that, that you want to you want to help our our listeners kind of drive home or um a nuance that we missed that you'd like to talk about look i think we've probably taken enough of our listeners time they, they'd be very generous with their time <laughs> let's not trespass on it too much <laughs> awesome <clears throat> well Cool. Thank you so much for, for coming on, adding to this conversation, um, helping Christians think better, not to say like, this isn't for me or we're above this. It's there's a, there's a nuance in this that I think we have to engage with and engage with our culture. Uh, but thank you so much for writing this. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Peter and Nick, it's been an absolute joy for me. I've loved it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision-making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.